Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we also have our co-host, Sam, who you might hear on her pacifier or crying, depending on how uh, intense this episode gets. <laughs> it's an intense episode. It is. And I I really enjoyed it up until the end was completely unwatchable. It's so weird. I don't know how many times I've seen this episode. Never bothered me before. It just is, it's like a dreamlike state. Yeah, they do this lighting thing, which... I get it's to indicate that, spoiler alert, the whole thing is like a psychic illusion or something where the lights keep on fading in and out. And it gave me this massive headache. I could not look directly at the screen for the last, god, I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes of the episode. Well, it might have felt longer because you couldn't look at the screen, but it's really only like a five minute scene. Mm. So I want to see how you feel about the episode now that we're talking about, now when we talk it over, you know. All right, this is Season 1, Episode 16 of Farscape, A Human Reaction. Yeah, this episode was directed by Rowan Woods, who I guess you're not a fan of. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I like most of the episode up until, you know, the end. Yeah, yeah. We last saw Rowan Woods on uh, Thank God It's Friday again. And Mm -hmm. he... Yeah, solid episode. He also did Back and Back and Back to the Future. Less solid episode. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, thank God it's Friday again. It's just a better version of Back and Back and Back and Back to the Future. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Anyway, Rowan Woods shows up a lot. He's he's one of the standbys here. Mm. And uh, this episode was written by Justin Manju, who we just saw. He just wrote The Flax, which I quite liked the writing of, other than the last 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah, other than the one gag at the end of the episode, which kind of ruined the episode forever. <sighs> Yeah, basically, basically. So um, is that is that a thing with these Farscape things where there's like, they're really good except for one glaring flaw? Well, to be fair, we're still in the first season. The first season is unsteady. You know, with Farscape, that doesn't mean one episode is really bad and one episode is really good. It means every episode is almost there, but it's really going to hit its stride. It's, it's, it's actually getting to the point where it's really hitting its stride. I love this episode, and I was afraid rewatching it, I would love it less, but I did not. It's still an amazing episode. And I mentioned last week that this episode really starts off, it really kicks off the continuing plot line, mm-hmm. even though if you're watching the show for the first time, you don't know that yet. Things are happening in this episode that you will find out later happened. All right. So we open the episode with John writing to his dad, which is something I think he did in the first and maybe second episode and has not done since. Okay, it will come back again, though. That little, he he's he's leaving notes for his dad on his dictaphone, and that'll come back. That dictaphone is actually going to be pretty important later. Eh, I mean, symbolically important. Hmm. Like the teapot letter in the office. Yeah. So I guess this is just a thing we're supposed to assume he's been doing off screen. Yeah, exactly. Especially because his message to his dad right now is, gee, dad, everything's exactly the same. Nothing has changed. I'm stuck inside. Yeah. (laughs) But also, you know, it's TV. So as soon as you're like, boy, nothing ever does change around here. Boy, it sure is boring around here. Yep. Yep. But although there is something new on the ship, it's very understated, but there is something new. You mean Shiana? Yes. Chiana and Zan are having a massive argument. I love how much Zan just 
hates Tiana right off the bat. Yeah. Okay. So it's so weird too, because Zan is like, Tiana, you can't just go around stealing people's stuff. If you're going to be a member of this crew, you have to be honorable like we all are. Okay, Zan. (laughs) No, right? Zan's hypocrisy knows no bounds. So. Yep. So we, John, John hears all that going on outside and he's like, yep, dad, everything's the same. Because like I said, Zan being hypocritical is no big change. He's, he starts talking about, I think it's an interesting and kind of understated thing in space shows, how he doesn't really have a good sense of time anymore because everything's always the same where he is. Like space mm-hmm. doesn't really have day or night or anything. And it just makes him feel isolated and miss Earth. Yeah. Now, I know that this isn't actually a uh, foreshadowing, haha, <laughs> foreshadowing, of what's going to happen in Eat Me, but John's face is half in light, half in shadow in a really moody and dramatic way while he's talking to his dad. Hmm. And I really, really love this choice. You don't think it's foreshadowing that thing that they do to try to kill any epileptic people who are watching the show near the end of the episode? No, no. Uh, Eat Me is a future episode that's coming up. I assumed. Yeah. Actually, what I think it's talking about is how John is half here, half on Earth. Hmm. Like, he's still got, you know, one foot in, one foot out. And I've mentioned before, but the opening monologue has John saying, I'm just looking for a way home. And I've mentioned that it's going to change. At some point, it's going to change from I'm just looking for a way home to look upward and see the wonder that I've seen. So at some point, he's going to stop having one foot in Earth and one foot in space, and he's just going to be a spaceman. You think this episode's a big push on that way? I, I do, for, yes. I, I was going to say for reasons we'll get into, but you've either watched the episode or you're not going to watch it. You're clearly not worried about us spoiling this episode. The point of this encounter is to see what... John really thinks of Earth. Yeah, and... uh I think John, after the end of this episode, has to grapple with maybe subconsciously he knows that his ideas of Earth are kind of romanticized. His conscious ideas of Earth are romanticized. Like, deep down he knows that the Earth he wants to get back to is not the most welcoming place. How old is John supposed to be? I don't know, early 20s? Because this has real flavors of coming back from college, like your first time coming back from college and suddenly realizing how racist everyone in your hometown is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's like that, the episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of John's age. He notices while he's trying to think of a good way to get off of the phone with his dad. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is what it is. Because he's like, it's getting late. I better, you know, get off the phone, dictaphone, whatever. And he notices uh, his first gray hair. How is that possible? I was getting gray hairs back in high school. Okay, I don't think I got my first gray hair until I was in college. It just it's genetic. It happens to everyone at different times. Mm. So he does. He is able to get off the phone. Dad, I gotta go. Pilot's calling me. When Pilot calls him to let him know that a wormhole has appeared. Yep, it's another space butthole that John is going to be shoved through so he can get home. Well, I mean, he's going to jump down this space butthole because he can tell that uh, at the other end of this space butthole is Earth. And uh, just so that we have a clock on this, 
Pilot tells him that currently the stability of the wormhole is 80%, and it's going to keep degrading until John makes the decision whether or not he's going to jump through it. Hmm. Rigel says that they're on their way to their commerce planet, and they have no time for this. I'm sorry, the commerce planet? There's just one commerce planet. No, I assume he meant the commerce planet that they were on their way to. Like, you would say... Like, you would say... The city. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway... John has to decide whether or not he's going to go into the space wormhole and, you know, abandon the life he has created in space. Yeah. He assumes Aaron's going to go with him because they've had many conversations across several episodes of her coming to Earth with him, but she doesn't want to. I love, John says, Aaron, this could be our only chance. And she's like, yeah, that's, it's not us, John. It's, it's you. I, as much as I, we've talked about this, as much as I like you, I'm still an alien. I've lived on a ship my whole life. I can't just take a chance that this primitive planet you come from is going to be a home for me. Well, this is building off of something we've seen with Erin a lot, how she kind of goes immediately to the familiar. It's true. Which makes sense. I mean, she was raised in a really regimented society. She didn't She didn't get to make a lot of choices. I can see being very comfortable not making a choice. I do like how Zan points out, yeah, it's the same kind of wormhole that brought you home, and yeah, it's going to a planet that looks like Earth, but you know how many planets are out there in the universe? Like, there's a really solid chance that this is not Earth. Also, Zan's worried that he'll just get crushed in the wormhole, even if it is Earth. Hmm, which, fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Zan saying goodbye to John because Zan is the only person on this ship at this point in time, wait, is that accurate? Hold on. People who have watched this show before, weigh in in our Facebook group and welcome to television if it's accurate to say that at this point in time, Zan is the only person John has had sex with on the ship. How do you mean? How do I mean? Okay. How do I mean? Is there like a time travel Time thing? travel shenanigans! Okay. Yes! God. But uh, time travel shenanigan diversions aside, what I was going to say is it's interesting how John and Aaron are so obviously endgame, but at this point, Zan is the only person he's had sex with on the ship. Yeah. It's a Ted and Linda situation. Yes, exactly. That's a better off Ted reference. Yes. Which you should watch. It's fun. And it's on Hulu. What else are you going to (laughs) do? So, John is having his, we haven't done this in a while, but he is having a Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz moment where, you know, he says his goodbyes to each member of his little scrappy gang. Yes. Oh, and I love when he says goodbye to Dargo. Dargo offers his hand to shake hands with him, which is something John taught him in a previous episode. And uh, then he goes over to Zan and Zan's like, remember, John, a piece of me will always be inside of you. And he's like, her, her, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. No, I like that, though. She's like, a piece of me is in you. Take care of it. Also, they put their hands on the back of each other's necks the way they do, you know. When they're brain boinking. Yeah. So, I mean, this is basically like wrapping your legs around someone. It's a very intimate goodbye gesture. Yeah. You said it so nicely. <laughs> I said it so grossly and you made it so nice oh well i was about to follow that up with bye zan honk honk so (laughs) oh okay and thus balance is restored (laughs) yes 
John also jokes with Rigel and is like, okay, well, since I'm going, I guess I don't need my stuff anymore. So Aaron can have it. (laughs) And then he says goodbye to Aaron. And there's this amazing moment where she just kind of nods at him. She won't come and say goodbye to him because it hurts too much. You know, like. I have a heart. I know I have a heart now because it's breaking. Oh, that's not what I was going to say. Also, she's definitely the scarecrow and not the Tin Woodsman in this situation. I was actually going to say it's like in Friends when Rachel's saying goodbye to everybody, but she won't say goodbye to Ross because it hurts too much. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't have even said that, though, because John and Aaron are such a better love story than Ross and Rachel. I mean, it's questionable if, like, Ross and Rachel might actually be a worse love story than Edward and Bella. Well... There's no reason to think that they're going to stay together after the finale, given how many times they've gotten together and then broken up in that show. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's like, oh, look, they're going to be together forever this time, except we have no evidence of that. I mean, at least in Scrubs, they, like, they sort of pull into relief how much Elliot and JD have changed by the last season when they get together again. I mean, they give us a reason to be like, this is why this time it's going to last. And a good part of that is that it's not a dramatic thing for them. Yeah, they're just older and more experienced and less, you know, immature kids. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, though, John and Aaron's love story is amazing. It's epic. Like that movie no one liked. I liked that movie. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. It was perfectly enjoyable, and even though it was animated, so it seems weird to say this, the costumes were gorgeous. I just wanted to make all of the dresses that they that the fairies were wearing. We need to buy uh, Samson William Joyce books. Uh, tell me some of his books. Uh, A Day at Wilbur Robinson's. Oh. George Shrinks. Gotcha. Gotcha. They're, his stuff is beautifully illustrated, and it's made into... You haven't even seen Meet the Robinsons. That's true, I haven't, but it pivots so much from the source material. Yeah, it's a completely different story. Yes, that is true. Honestly, if anything, it's a weirdly... If anything, Meet the Robinsons is the real Tomorrowland movie. Yes. God, Tomorrowland. Yes, yes. But they even... Speaking of kids these days... Tomorrowland is a terrible movie, but... Meet the Robinsons is actually about kind of the spirit of creation. They even have, like, the Imagineers logo as one of the arc words in Meet the Robinsons. Like, don't think of it as being a poor adaptation of this book. Think of it as a genuinely good Tomorrowland movie. Plus, it's got the dinosaur. With a giant head. And dirty arms. It's funny. If I buy you a date with the Robinsons, will you watch the movie with me? Yes. Okay. You'd be buying it for Sam, but... Sure. If I buy the book for Sam, will you watch the movie with me? Yes. Okay. So... John gets in his pod and takes off all alone. All alone into the black. Yep. And Pilot's counting down like, hey, you know, this thing is going to... Like, there's only 39% stability left, so if you want to do this, you should probably hurry up. John's like, never tell me the odds. Also, everybody's kind of standing in command and sadly looking out at his ship as it goes into the wormhole. And then eventually he goes in and, uh, you know, about halfway through, he loses connection with Pilot, which is what you would expect. Yeah, I mean, come on. 
It's like driving into a tunnel, but very much more so. It's like driving into a tunnel forever. So, uh, space, space, uh, looks like he's back on Earth. Or is he? So John lands in Australia, and I know some of our listeners are Australian, so I hope they'll forgive me for saying this. But he looks out onto the skyline, and I understand that John recognizes the skyline and is like, Oh, thank goodness I'm home. But to me, it could have been any skyline. I was like, don't you want to put something in there that is recognizably Australian? So that... You mean that opera house? I I didn't want to say... Yeah, the Sydney Opera House. I mean, it's a really distinctive building. I don't know. I'm I'm probably being really provincial right now. I'm sure... If you live in Australia, if you are a listener who lives in Australia, please go to our Facebook page and let me know if this is a recognizable skyline to you. Just the way that, like, if I saw the skyline of Portland, I'd be like, oh, yeah, obviously Portland, even though I guess if you've never been to Portland, you wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, but I mean, like, the important thing is that this is clearly Earth and not just, like, an Earth-like planet. Well, what I'm saying is that's clear to John, but other than John being sure that it's Earth, nothing tells me that it's Earth. I don't know, if I landed here, it doesn't really look like any of the alien civilizations. I'd probably assume Earth. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, well, speaking of, John runs up to this woman on the beach where he landed, this blonde woman, and he's like, excuse me, miss, is this Australia? And she's like, ah, you seem dangerous, I'm gonna run. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of seeming dangerous, like a whole bunch of military guys come over the dune on the beach where he crashed and are like, okay, time to take this guy in. And John, with the bravery of, you know, a leading man, a white leading man. Yeah, he seems happy to see all of the men with guns pointing at him, which I don't think is a thing I would share with him. I, uh, yeah. It's true. But he's got, like, he knows he's the protagonist. Yeah, so he'll be fine. So he gets shot, which gives... With a tranquilizer dart. With a tranquilizer dart, which gives Ben Browder a great excuse to do a bunch of funny facial expressions and then fall down. Get a bunch of flailing. Like, please, whenever possible, let Ben Browder do physical acting. He's great at it. They even do a zoom in on his eye, and his eye is, like, rolling back, and he's, like, doing a tased blink thing and i'm just like good old ben browder you give him the smallest opportunity to ham it up and he will run with it Mm. which i guess is what hamming it up is yes huh anyway we're in the australian facility the iasa facility where john was when he left for space and the scientists are running all sorts of tests on him they're like poking him and prodding him and drawing blood and so weird to see guys with chest hair on TV anymore. Yeah, you're right. You don't see that a lot. Yeah. It's a weird thing that they make actors shave now. That is weird. Are we blaming Marvel or is this Absolutely. A... I was just about to say. 100% on the MCU. The MCU has set, like, the beauty standards for... Everyone? Well, for men. Mm. Like, thanks to the MCU, men now have the unrealistic beauty standards to live up to that women have had for... Ever. Remember, you have to work out for, like, six months and then be super dehydrated for about a week for the, uh, you know, ten seconds you're going to be shirtless. And Yeah, no, it's terrible. It really is. It's, it's on, I, I was kind of joking, but it's just as unhealthy for men as it's always been for women. It's not good. 
I know it probably wasn't, but I, I, I do like that Paul Rudd kind of got his shirtless scene out of the way really early in Ant-Man and Wasp. And I was like, is this so that he didn't have to maintain that? But I'm like, that's stupid. That's not how they shoot these things. Well, I mean, Chris Pratt did all his sexy shirtless scenes in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. And then in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, when he looks like a totally normal fit guy, everyone's calling him fat so that he doesn't have to do another shirtless scene. It's really not great. Hmm. Oh, don't even get me started on a fat Thor. I, I have feelings. I, I have to imagine, I, I've just seen a little bit of the side discourse on Fat Thor, but there has to be so much, like, there have to be essays and stuff about oh, Fat Thor. There are. Yeah. It's not good. I don't want to get into it. Oh my god, I have so much to say and I don't want to get into it. So let me just talk about this weird choice they made. It's It's funny because now that you brought up the last scene, I'm seeing the way that this very artsy decision at the end of the episode is uh, not so out of place in this episode. They did a little bit of weird flashing, fading in and out when John landed in Australia. And now he's being held, all the testing has been done, and he's being held in a holding cell in the IASA facility. And there's this great shot where a photographer goes to take a picture of him in the cell for, I don't know, documentation of some sort. And we see the very moody photo of John sitting, like, in the corner of the cell. Yeah, it's, it's like they're doing a very specific fashion shoot, you know, with a, a very themed fashion shoot. You know what it actually reminded me of, which is kind of a weird reference? The college humor sketch where the guy taking the blackmail photos was taking, like, super flattering blackmail photos. And his black, like, him trying to blackmail um, Allie kept being interrupted by her being impressed by how great the photos were of her. Yeah. So, John is being investigated by, not IASA, but I guess the Australian government. No, it's IASA. I'm pretty sure it's IASA. Maybe it's Australia. I don't know. It's unclear. Yes, but the important thing is, it's some guy he used to know in a military context. Who's, yes. Who is Australian, who's like, his name is Wilson, and John used to work with him, and John's like, you know me, let me, you know, go do Earth stuff. I came back to Earth so I could start doing Earth stuff again. And Wilson's like, yeah, but how do we know it's really you and not just an alien wearing a John suit? Well, and also, when they pulled his blood, they found the translator microbes. So they're like, you have alien stuff in your blood and alien tech in your ship. How in the world are we supposed to just assume you're John? And then we see that, like, they brought a parade of people in front of John to speak different languages so that he could prove that the stuff in his blood was translator microbes. Yeah, which is, which is needed. I love sarcastic John, too, because one guy's talking to him and they're, like, translated, and John says, I think he said, stop messing around! I'm obviously John! <laughs> I've translated for 12 different guys! You know that I'm telling you the truth! He's definitely got that John Crichton sass. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed they couldn't get that actor who was his best friend in the uh, pilot. Yeah, that is weird. So, John, in what seems like a throwaway line, but is not, asks one of the guards, who is someone else he knows from his time on Earth, mm -hmm. for a newspaper. And he's just trying to get any information about, out of him about what has happened in the last seven months since he left Earth, he's like, can you, who won the Super Bowl? 
You know, who's who's on first? I don't know. Who? Who's Jennifer Lopez currently married to? Thank you. I was trying to think of something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, we can't give you any information from before you left Earth in case it helps the aliens somehow. And he's like, really? Not even Super Bowl scores. Nope. And then they have him sit down with a, I assume, like a sketch artist and describe all of the aliens, which is pretty cool. The drawings that they get of Rigel and Dargo and such, they almost look like concept sketches to me. I was about to say, it looks like they were like, hey, this would be a neat uh, chance to use some concept art. Yeah. Anyway, John's daddy comes storming in and is like, how dare you keep my son from me? I will determine if he's an alien invader or not. Because remember, John's dad is also an astronaut and like a highly ranked military guy. He should have the Karen haircut. Yeah. So he walks, they let him into John's cell and he's like, gee, son, you sure can't see your nipples through that shirt. You know, I mean, I know I was just talking about the MCU and how body stuff is bad for guys, etc., etc., but I feel like Ben Browder is really happy with his arms and took any opportunity he could to show them off. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's been imprisoned in a tank top. Yes, he has. So he's like, oh, thank God, General Dad, you'll get me out of here. And uh, His dad, like, quizzes him first. He's like, what did we do on your 10th birthday? And he's like, well, I had a party. You weren't there. Okay, but I like this because before he says that, he's like, I don't know, which in TV, when people are being quizzed like this, they always have photographic memories of their own life. Like, Quick Max- Looking at you, Fuller House. Yes. But, like, Quick Max, what did you do on your 10th birthday? God, I- no clue. I I think that's when- no, no, that was- I was like, I think that was when Discovery Zone-esque things were still big, so I might have done something there, but I think that was earlier. Yeah, I I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So I I like that. I like the realism of the fact that his dad had to kind of nudge him a little. And I also like, because as you said, he's like, you weren't there, but then they subvert the absent father trope. And he's like, you weren't there because there was like really serious stuff going on at IASA and you had to deal with it. And the next day you took me fishing and it was amazing. Yeah, fishing. (laughs) It's the activity you can do with your dad. You're in close proximity, but you don't have to look at each other or talk. In fact, talking is discouraged. Yeah. Mostly I just like, when we started this episode, you were like, oh, is this going to be about John's daddy issues? And I was like, actually, John doesn't, the opposite. John doesn't really have daddy issues other than, like, missing his father. Hmm. And then I realized, we've talked before about John being pretty non-toxic as far as masculinity goes. And seems like maybe that's connected. The fact that he has a good and present father and he doesn't have daddy issues and that he's not an example of toxic masculinity. Like, he had an example of a loving father who wasn't afraid to show emotions and Now he's a man who's not afraid to, like, show his emotions. So, John and his dad share a man hug, and it cuts to Wilson watching ominously from behind a pillar. Must be a friend of theirs. And John's like, Dad, what's going on? This is far beyond any normal decontamination routine. This is not at all what we usually do when aliens show up. Yeah. John, what? Yeah, and the dad's like, look... You going to space massively changed everything. Well, the reason it changed everything is because the wormhole from this side never closed. So everyone on Earth has just been looking at this wormhole, waiting for alien invaders to come flying through it for seven months. Can we stop and talk about seven months real fast? 
Okay, that seems like too short, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, Last episode, he spent three months on the racially questionable ago. oh was that two episodes ago right because jerker returns was last episode yeah two episodes ago he spent three months on the racially questionable island so like time has pa- and time a lot of time passed before and after that right well i mean i guess if like on most tv shows every week was a week but then we add three months for that one episode so that's 17 weeks plus three months does that add up to seven months I mean, I think there's a flaw in assuming that it's been a week in between every episode. Yeah, especially because we've already heard about stuff happening off screen. Mm -hmm. The show started airing in March, and this aired in August, so that was only five months. So, yeah, I guess, so, okay, I guess if the show happens in anything like real time, it's not that off. It just, it feels like it doesn't happen in real time. Yeah. So, Colonel Dad does successfully spring John from space prison. Ah, but does he? Earth Earth space prison. Earth space prison. (laughs) Ah, but does he? Because John's like, um, Dad, I don't believe they let you take me out to the beach. That doesn't seem like the military I know. And his dad's like, um, yeah, you see all of those people who are obviously undercover people with earpieces? They are all watching you. Also, I'm wired up. And then... John's dad pulls out this, like, pin that they gave him that has a microphone in it and drops it into the water so that John recognizes that they can have a private conversation now. Can they? Right? <laughs> like, I'm sure those vans have, like, those directional mics so they can hear you. I'm sure that that pin is waterproof. It's true. It is underwater now, though. Yeah. I, I like the image of the pin, which is like a... It looks like some sort, it's like an Air Force Eagle. Mm-hmm. And when it lands in the water, it's in like a little tide pool and a crab kind of crawls over it. And I like this kind of like, obviously this is an earth thing. This is water. This is a crab. But let's be honest, sea creatures are very alien. They are. So it could almost be, you know, the show itself having this, from from the pin's point of view, giant crab crawling over it. I... I'm just saying, I think there are a lot of really good visual choices in this episode. Last scene notwithstanding. Mm. So, Colonel Dad tells him that Wilson's been put in charge by the Pentagon, which seems weird because Wilson's Australian. I'm just saying, it seems really weird that the Pentagon's like, it's okay that this Australian military guy has control over our dude, the first dude to go into space and meet aliens and stuff. It seems like the U.S. government would have issues with the Australian government holding this guy. Yeah, you know, I was going to say he's the one who's there on the ground, but you're right. Someone would have gotten on a plane. I mean, Colonel Dad's there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, Colonel Dad kind of talks out, like, I was really scared that you might be dead, and, you know, you're my son and I love you, and it would really bum me out if you died. And John's like, hey, you know how you're a military dad, and I had to worry that you would die every day? Well, I mean, come on, John. There's lots of professions that have, you know, really high mortality rates that aren't the military. Garbage men, for example. It's true. You know who has a really high mortality rate as far as jobs go? Pizza delivery guys. Uh, Yes, I was going to say taxi drivers. Oh, I find that less surprising than the pizza delivery guy thing. Well, honestly, it's for a similar reason. The majority of on-the-job injuries are car accidents. Mm. Any job where you have to drive is 
probably more dangerous than an average job. Yeah. So John goes back into the facility and he realizes that another guy at the facility is a guy that he knows from, you know, a previous mission. Hmm. It's so weird that all of these guys are guys he's worked with before. Curious that. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing that makes this a good show. How understated that is. Yes, but also it is a good clue as to what's really happening. But additionally, it would make sense because you could totally see an explanation where it was they only wanted to send people who had met the real John Crichton to be part of this team. Oh, I was going from a Xena point of view where they only have access to so many actors, so they've reused them a lot. Well, I mean, that's the truth, but... why, Which is why Carl Urban is Caesar and Cupid and Abraham's non-Isaac kid. In the episode with Abraham and Isaac. Ishmael? I honestly think they just made up a, bib- a biblical sounding name and gave it to him. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I like this because it's a thing that both supports the twist at the end, but doesn't require the twist at the end. Mm. So, now we're going to get this thing that I mentioned happens in Farscape a lot, that you're going to see going forward. And honestly, it kind of cracks me up every time it happens. But, and usually it happens at the end of a season, but we're getting it here within the episode. There are several times in this show where a character will leave Moya for a reason that makes total sense. And they'll have this long, as you said, Wizard of Oz goodbye, and everybody will be like, goodbye, crew member. It was an honor living with you. And then they'll sail off, and then they'll be gone for like five seconds, and the rest of the crew will be like, we need to go find them. And then it'll be like a mission to go find them. And as soon as they find them, the crew member in question, because it's several crew members over the course of the show, the crew member in question will be like, thank God you found me. All right, let's go back to being a family on Moya. And the same thing happened here. As soon as John went through the wormhole and they lost communication, Aaron was like, oh no, I have to get close to the wormhole and see if I can reestablish communication with John. And she... And Dargo and Rigel got on a transport pod and got sucked right into the wormhole. Brilliant. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, I do love this, though, because so now everyone's in the same cell. And, you know, John has translator microbes. All of these people have translator microbes, but none of the people in the IASA facility do. So for the first time, we're hearing them all speak in their language. There are subtitles so we can see what they're saying, but we're hearing what Sebastian sounds like, and we're hearing what Hynerian and Luxon sound like. God, it's weird Rigel came on this mission. I mean, I know why. You know. I know why in-universe they chose to use the Rigel puppet instead of, say, Zan. Yeah, well, and the director commentary, on the DVD commentary, they actually mentioned that the reason they left Chiana up on the ship is because they hadn't really figured out what they were doing with her character yet. Yeah. And I like that because she's still kind of a loose cannon. So John can be, John can vouch for these three and say, no, they're they're good people. They mean no harm. But he doesn't really know that about Shiana yet. He can't say that for sure yet. Also, I like Sebastian is just English backwards. Is that all they did? They just reversed English? Yeah, although, it, okay, it sounds like it's recorded backwards the way it is in... Um, Red it, Dwarf. They do that on Red Dwarf, but also I was actually going to say Twin Peaks. Mm. Like, you can hear the kind of weird recording noise where they're playing it backwards. When somebody's speaking and the tape is played backwards, you can kind of hear the way their voice is clipped unnaturally because 
they're breathing in instead of out as they speak. Mm-hmm. But the commentary insists that no, Claudia Black is speaking backwards, but I don't buy it. So I don't know. Listen to the episode and tell me what you think. Did they, is, is, is Claudia Black really speaking backwards or is it an audio trick? Spoiler, it's definitely an audio trick. So Wilson's like, I think we need to start dissecting people or vivisecting. Ah. No, it's dissecting. Because alien autopsies were really big around this time. This is like a, this is dead dead in the middle of the alien autopsy period. Also, Rigel is saying that the tranquilizer dart they hit him with is making him sick. It's messing with his alien physiology. Also, Dargo is going like full on angry warrior and like hissing at people and banging on the cell doors. So it's not the best look. But I mean. It's understandable, I guess. In fact, Dargo says that he swore after he was taken by the peacekeepers that he would never be taken prisoner again. So this is... Uh, Well, that's already been broken a few times by now. Yeah, that's true. But my point is, he spent years as a prisoner on a peacekeeper vessel, and now there's a chance he's going to be imprisoned on a world of Johns? I'd be mad. I'd be really mad. But Rigel is sick, and... And Dargo is angry. And... John is like, look, don't worry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you guys safe. I'm gonna make sure that nothing bad happens to any of you. You know, this is totally something that's in my power. And the, the scene is shot so that the aliens are in the light and John's in the dark while he's saying this. So, you know, keep that in mind. I'm just amazed at the way this whole episode is shot honestly so we cut to john in another part of the facility with his father he mentions that all of the magazines in the facility are seven months old because nobody wants him to know what's going on in the world and he also tells his dad that he feels super guilty that his friends came looking for him and now they've been imprisoned by the humans dumb humans how many magazines does john read because i feel like if he looked past the covers of a lot of these Questions would be raised. Good point. Huh. Very good point. Maybe John should be a little more thorough next time. Hmm. Hmm. Next time. I mean, I'm not saying there's going to be a next time. I'm just saying that there's an episode titled Won't Get Fooled Again. Hmm. So, Colonel Dad brings John into a back room and want, want, Rigel's been dissected. Yeah, they say that Rigel died from the tranquilizer, and they have him open up like a biology class frog on the table. It's pretty gross. It is very gross. We do get to see all of his stomachs, because Hynerians have multiple stomachs. Also, like, it is really disturbing, but when we see his head, his tongue is kind of sticking out the side of his head. Gross. I guess it's not that much grosser than, you know, the dissection part. Yeah, yeah. So John decides he's going to confront Wilson about this. He's like, hey, Wilson, remember the whole thing where we, like, wanted to contact aliens and be like, hey, we come in peace. This is not, we come in peace. He's like, remember we sent those golden plates up into Voyager that had, like, the naked people on them? This is not the promise of the naked people that we sent up into space. To contact space Mormons? Oh, um, so... No, I, I remember what you're talking about, but golden plates is... Yeah, I I know, but that's, it was... It's what you did. It's what they did. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they were gold. I'm sh- pretty sure the plates were made out of gold in order to survive space. And they definitely had naked humans carved onto them. Oh my god. We are so embarrassing as a species, Max. Oh. Hey, aliens, look at our junk. 
God. We sent dick pics into space. Why did we do that? Well, I mean, it's the thing with first contact, right? Where, uh, you know, Vulcans consider, like, physical contact a very taboo thing. And the first thing humanity did when, you know, Vulcans landed on Earth was, you know, shake their hands. You saw that post going around Tumblr, right, about how Vulcan had to have sent its kinkiest Vulcan there because, <laughs> yes. you know, the human guy stuck out his hand and the Vulcans were like, you know what, I'm going to roll with it. <laughs> oh, man, I'm just saying, like... It's pun far time, baby. Oh, humans are so embarrassing. All of the hot aliens are just, like, reporting us to Tinder. Well, that book I got you for, uh... Money Shot! Yes. Your birthday. Yes, about the horny astronauts going to make first contact. It's about Earth specifically choosing the horniest astronauts so they could more positively interact with space society. I have actually been working on an erotic novel about a, um, a, a space-faring sex worker who's a xenobiologist, so she's like... Special her her specialty is like different ways aliens have sex. She didn't mm-hmm. like science because it was all in a lab and there was no like hands on stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. So back to Farscape. <laughs> so uh, back on Farscape, Darga's like, okay, so it's one of us down, two to go, and John's like, it's not going to go down like that. I will protect the two of you that are still alive. I'm sure everything will work out for the two Simpson children. <laughs> I was going to say I will protect the two of you who look. The most human. And Darga's like, I'm not feeling very confident right now. Yeah. He knows who's next on the chopping block. It's the one that John has not A, had sex with, or B, wants to have sex with. Yes. I mean, obviously, Zan didn't come on this mission because Virginia Hayes was like, you know what? I don't feel like doing all this makeup. Yeah. I will do, I will be in this makeup long enough to keep myself in the opening credits, and then I'm not going to be in the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. Aaron... Like, twist the knife into John by being like, you know, even peacekeepers don't dissect prisoners, and... Okay, I'm sorry, that can't possibly be true. Or if it is true, it's just because you guys... Already know everything? I was gonna say, don't like science. Yeah. Yeah, last episode, we dealt with a peacekeeper whose big thing was torturing people until they died. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, John leaves and goes outside where his dad can find him, and he can be like, oh, this is real bad. This is super bad, dad. Dad, dad. It's not what you want. Nope. Nope. And I love his dad's like, well, it was naive of you to promise that you could protect them from the military. Just, I mean, come on. Come on. And John's like, look, dad, I need you to call in every favor you've got, every, every guy in the Pentagon you're wiener bros with. Okay, yeah, he says every undersecretary, every Pentagon general, every mistress. Is he implying that his dad was cheating on his mom and, like, sleeping around with people when he was a soldier? Well, okay, so I've been rewatching the Mary Tyler Moore show recently. And there's an episode where Mary's going to the movies with Lou. Mm-hmm. And they run into one of Lou's son-in-laws with uh, a woman who is not Lou's daughter. Mm-hmm. And the whole episode is about sort of the baseline expectation of cheating and, like, the son-in-law being like, I'm sorry you caught me, but, you know, it's a thing guys do. Are you telling me you've never cheated on Edie? And Lou Grant's like, no, but, you know, she's special and my daughter is special too, so, you know, 
if you cheat on my daughter, I'm going to beat you to death. I feel like until really recently, there wasn't actually an expectation of monogamy on guys. Like, there was always an expectation of cheating until very recently. That one episode of Party Down, the crockpot thing. Yes. Well, I mean, I will argue that, and I, I hope nobody would argue with me about on this, that a informed, loving, open relationship is way better than this weird 1960s idea where, like, of course a man's gonna cheat. You just act like you don't know, and if he's a good man, he'll hide it from you and not bring his mistress to a movie theater where your father's gonna see him. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing about the Marriage Tyler Moore show. Like, a lot of it holds up really, really well. And then, you know... Ted Baxter will say a horrible slur for Asian people out of nowhere, and you'll be like, oh. right, this show is in the 70s. Yeah. But, like, it catches you off guard because a lot of comedies don't age well, but Mary Tyler Moore, the Mary Tyler Moore show has, in most respects, aged a lot better than other sitcoms. Like, there's way less gay jokes than, say, Friends. Like, and... They have they have a couple, but they're not as, you know, haha, you're gay, which is every other punchline in Friends. Oof. It's stuff like Lou opens a bar and Ted talks about how there's this bar downtown with a bunch of really handsome guys. And, you know, it must be because it must be to attract women, but it seems like the only other people who go to that bar are really handsome guys. But still, there are all these really handsome guys in that bar. They're making so much money and Lou's like... I don't want my kind of bar to be that kind of bar. Okay, I don't want to, like, open up a whole can of worms here. Mm -hmm. But is it possible that the reason Friends has more gay panic in it is because in the Friends era, being gay was something that you would make fun of your friend as though, oh, what it, wouldn't it be funny if you were gay? Whereas in the Mary Tyler Moore era, you would never say that to a guy? I don't know. I mean, wasn't that kind of the punchline in MASH all the time with that one guy they kept making cross-dress? Okay, that was a that that was different, though, because the punchline there was not, oh, look at this guy, he's gender non-conforming, therefore he must be gay. The joke was, he's trying to get out of the military by making people think he's gay, but because we're in a quagmire, nobody's believing it. Hmm. I don't know. I just, I'm thinking about, I'm trying to remember the stages, but I remember seeing something about um, gay people being portrayed in media, and it was like, first they're vilified, and then they're mocked, and then they're valorized, and then they're just humans. I don't know where the Mary Tyler Moore show falls. I honestly kind of stopped watching it after Rhoda leaves. Yeah. But the only time there's really a gay character that I remember in Mary Tyler Moore is the episode with Phyllis's brother, where Phyllis is worried because she tries to set up her brother with Mary, mm -hmm. but he prefers spending his time with Rhoda. And she starts freaking out because she's like, oh no, he's going to marry Rhoda. Oh no. And she starts like, she ruins that party that Mary was throwing. And then she's relieved when it turns out that he's gay. Yeah. I had forgotten about that episode. I was trying to remember if there were ever any gay characters portrayed on Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, and his gayness is just like a don't worry, he's not into Rhoda thing, which is... Although, I mean, the joke is, isn't it funny that she would rather her brother be gay than dating Rhoda? Yeah, but I mean, honestly, that's very, very mild for the time period. It's true. I mean, 
there's a cartoon I like that's kind of, it's a little bit of a precursor to our modern Simpsons. Adult cartoons? Yeah. It's called Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. Mm-hmm. It's about this guy who's like a centristy type guy. You know, he's very into the nuclear family. He has a, he has these two very kind of radicalized older children. Uh, one's a girl who's like a senior in high school and the other's a boy who's like fresh out of college. And uh, and then he has like a really young kid who's super into capitalism. But his neighbor and best friend is like this very regressive kind of fascist dude who hates all different races and ethnicities and anything that's not, you know. Right. And like the joke is basically that the main character's this middle ground guy and he's in the right because like, oh, his son won't get a job because he's too focused on helping underprivileged people or you know oh the daughter is you know not ashamed of being fat and she likes messing around with dudes and that's bad but you know he's not that bad because he's not the neighbor who's the worst person on earth that sounds very king of the hill to me where like Hank is constantly being a real jerk to any progressive he comes across, but then it's like, ah, but he's not really racist, so it's fine. This whole digression started because I asked if John's father had cheated on his mother. Yes, which I'm willing to bet, yes, that is, or at least in his mind he thinks that... Ah, yes, in John's mind he assumes his father cheated. So, having had this conversation with his dad, John, goes back down into the cell where Dargo and Aaron are being held. He's got a lot of leeway now all of a sudden. Well, he's still not allowed to leave the facility, but he's not being actively held in the cell, so... Now that they've got more uh, alien aliens. Yeah. And it's the same thing as when Durka, you know, took the worst hostage ever last episode by grabbing Aaron. Like, he breaks into... You know, rescue Aaron only to find out she's already mostly escaped by this point. Yes! Okay, so they've taken Dargo away. Oops. And Aaron has incapacitated the guard, grabbed a gun, figured out how to use an earth gun, and I love this. She she sees John and she asks John, are you with them? And he says no. And she says, are you with me? He says, yes, I'm with you. And I... I love that moment. I mean, I think it's a really important moment for John's evolution, you know? This he- is him choosing space over Earth. Yeah. I do like that he, after he says, I'm with you, then he says her name. I do really like that as sort of a cementing of his priorities. Yeah, it takes a moment, too, because she's not ready to take the gun off him quite yet and until he says her name. And then she, when she hears him say her name, she hears his sincerity. She knows that, like... Although she still mostly has the gun pointed at him. Like, it's less, but... (laughs) I took that as being pointed at the unconscious guard in case he woke up. Mm. Anyway, then we get... Then we get kind of a weird, like, montage. It's not really a montage, because it's just like a a tracking shot of them going through the facility and Aaron just taking everyone out. Yes, we only see her take out one guy, but it's like after she's left a trail of guys she's already taken out. Yes. And John confronts... Cobb, who is not Wilson. Right. He's the guy who wouldn't tell John who won the Super Bowl. And he's like, so, Cobb, did you look up who won the Super Bowl? And then Aaron shows up and is like, I don't know, something in sedation. 
And Cobb's like, oh, this is not good. He's like, oh, John is in fact on the side of the aliens and Aaron has a gun now. Womp womp. Yeah. He wants to rescue Dargo, who, as I said, was taken away, but, you know, Cobb tells him that Dargo's on another base. He's gone. There's nothing they can do. His princess is in another castle. Yep. No guilt. I mean, guilt. Lots and lots of guilt, but no guilt now, John. You can go ahead and run off with Aaron and the two of you can have your, like, sexy on the run adventures without Dargo third wheeling it. It'll be like The Fugitive, or to a lesser degree, The Pretender. Do you remember The Pretender? No, I have no memory of The Pretender, but I'll take your word for it. Honestly, I barely remember it just because it it had the stupidest name ever. Yes. But I remember it as basically being like a discount fugitive. Mm-hmm. It's this guy who's on the run for from some government organization or something. And like there's an evil business lady who's after him, who I guess is an evil, you know, government business lady. It's the same general aesthetic, right? Yeah, if totally. It, if it was a movie made in the past 20 years or so, she would have been played by Sigourney Weaver because uh-huh. everyone does that now. So John and Aaron have hightailed it out of the base and it's raining. Man. Hallelujah. No, it's raining water from the sky. <gasps> yeah. This is fun because this was supposed to be Aaron seeing a sunset for the first time. But when they were filming outside, it was raining. So it had to be Aaron seeing rain for the first time instead. Okay, this is kind of interesting because there's... I know you haven't watched Steven Universe because you find him annoying. I've seen episodes here and there that you've shown me, but yeah. And and that's to say, I find Steven the character annoying. If it was just the gems, I'd be all in on that show. But I only showed you the... Uh, Fusion episodes. Yes, so I don't think you saw this one. But there's an episode later where uh, the Earth... Like, there's sort of a pre-force to invasion... And one of the characters from that ends up sticking around. And Is that Peridot? Yeah, Peridot. I know of her from the tumblers. Mm. So he's teaching this, uh, he's teaching someone who's from like a non-organic world about the world. And he uh, he does it by describing the rain to her because it's raining outside and that's not something they have on Homeworld. Uh-huh. So he uses like, uh, he uses a pot of water to uh, demonstrate precipitation. That's cool. I just think it's interesting that rain is sort of a... Well, I mean, we also kind of got that with uh, Star Wars when, you know, the first time Rey's not on her desert planet anymore. Oh, these are much headier references than what I was thinking, which is the Futurama Atlantis episode, where she's like, do you have water on the surface world? And he's like, yeah, sometimes it falls from the sky. And, and she's so, so not interested because she lives underwater. She's like, oh. And sometimes it doesn't. Oh, Mr. Fry, what? you do go on. Futurama's a well-written show. It really is. So John takes Aaron to the Airbnb that he stayed in the last time he was in town. Well, the 90s Airbnb. Yeah, it's it's the place that he and his dad's. It's, it's the house that he and his dad stayed in when they were last at Australian IASA. I guess they just called them rental properties back then. I guess. I'm just pointing out that he's been there before. Mm. And Aaron even says, wait, if you've been here before, we shouldn't stay here. And he said, no, my dad said it's safe and this is where we should hide out. And she's like, your dad's a soldier too. I trust General Dad. Yeah, he does. Then uh, in the Airbnb, John, I'm just going to call it an Airbnb. I know they didn't, it didn't exist yet. It's just what I'm going to call it. All right. In the Airbnb, John gives Aaron a beer and is like, 
here, enjoy this beer. And she's like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is just what I need. This hits the spot. Listen, Something no one has ever said about beer? Nobody likes their first beer. Like, I get that you can develop a taste for it. Like, I haven't. But I get that it's a thing that happens. But beer is gross. Yeah, I, I've i never got... Well, I've never got the whole, you know, oh, oh you drink your fruity drinks, but I'm going to drink my manly beer. Yeah, but, it's delicious. Yeah, like, fruity alcohol tastes good. Beer tastes like wet bread juice, and it's barely alcoholic. I don't get why it's the uh, tough guy drink. Right? Like... Wait, although I will say, they are in Australia. Where beer is different. Yeah, so, I don't know, maybe it is delicious. Aaron says it tastes like Philip Philip Nectar, and uh, then starts to explain what Philip Nectar is, and John is like, please, Aaron, it's really annoying when you do that. Well, it's a moment of just supreme unawareness from John. But I'm sure the writer was aware of it. I love it. I love that the writer was like, you know what would be really annoying? (laughs) Someone explaining stuff. We get from context. It's from your planet. A reference. We get it. You'd think more people would just roll with it when John makes references to stuff so he won't feel the need to explain them. I feel like a lot of them do, at least at this point in time. Unless he has like a weird southernism. I I know that Aaron was horrified when he used the phrase slicker than snot yeah i mean i would be too that's super (laughs) gross john i think the actual thing aaron said was my translator microbes must have translated that wrong (laughs) so john is staring out at earth and clearly he's like oh yeah this is the planet it is my planet and you can tell he's thinking wait why was i trying so hard to get back here well he's like it's so beautiful well, Aaron, Aaron says that it's beautiful. Aaron's like, yeah, I know, you're right. It's beautiful. You, Everything you told me about Earth is true. And it's like, yeah, but they did kill two of my friends. We are irreversibly contaminated now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right? In fact, John asks Aaron, were you scared when you joined up with us on Moya? No, John, I was thrilled. <laughs> but clearly what he's thinking is... He's now in that situation, and, like, now he might be on the run. Now he might be irreversibly contaminated and be trapped on Moya, which is different than choosing to live on Moya. Hmm. Anyway, then he starts nuzzling her. Yes, it's all very quasi-erotic. Really? Yeah. I I, I, I think it's pretty sexy. I I would say it's just flat-out erotic. But then I'm a big John and Aaron fan. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's very PG erotic and not 80s PG when you could say the F word a bunch and have Dracula, you know, punch a little girl in the face. Have you seen Monster Squad? I haven't. I'm familiar with it, but I've never seen it. The whole, like, the movie literally starts with five minutes of the kids calling their, like, high school principal gay. And I'm like, well, it's one of the things you forget about the Bill and Ted movies because they're like these... Really lighthearted, you know, comedic romps, except there's all of this homophobia that comes... Speaking of the Mary... Like, I was talking about with the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. It's just, you sort of forget how normalized that sort of thing was. And there's a big thing in Stranger Things about how these kids don't talk the way kids talked in the 80s, because if they talk the way kids talked in the 80s... It would be horrifying. Yeah, we would not see them as the protagonists. Yeah. But I just because they're going slow doesn't mean it's not erotic. Yeah. They're just moving in for a kiss, like, super slow. They're, like, 
feeling every centimeter as they get closer and closer. It's hot. And then we do the thing where we, like, fade to black, and then we wake up the next morning, and John is naked in bed, and Aaron is wearing a men's shirt and looking over a map trying to figure stuff out. It's very that Rebel Wilson romantic, isn't it romantic? That Rebel Wilson movie about rom-coms. Uh-huh. Yes. Except that here, Aaron is wearing a men's shirt that she found, not because she's being sexy and putting on John's shirt, but because this was the shirt she found, and so that's what she put on. No, I'm talking about the fact that she was trying to have sex with Liam Hemsworth. Oh, and it kept cutting to it black. Cut- Yeah, and she kept on trying to have sex with him, and every time she did, it just cut to black, and she woke up in bed the next morning. Yeah. You know, that movie was unfairly maligned. I quite enjoyed that movie. Yeah. But unlike Isn't It Romantic, Mm. uh, they did have sex. They totally banged. Is is there a cut scene about them having sex? uh, No, this scene is cut in some releases. Really? It's trimmed in some releases so that it's not as clear that they had sex. Like, John, we don't get the shots of John shirtless in the bed. Okay, so we can see Rigel all cut to pieces and being vivisected, but implying that two adult people had sex. I think it might have been... I think it might not have been prudishness. I think it might have been they wanted to keep their options open about whether or not John and Aaron had had sex. Mm. But they definitely had. And I actually really like this because John's like... Aaron, do you want to talk about what happened? And she's like, it was fine, okay? It was fine, it was great, don't worry about it, but we're on the run now. Honestly, I don't think that John should have been able to have sex with her given the twist. I think she should have, like, opened her shirt and just a void was there. Or No, this is really Aaron. It is? Yeah. Huh. So she's also in the psychic illusion, spoiler alert. Yeah, because remember, it's actually Dargo and it's actually Rigel. I didn't remember that. Yeah, no, this is actually Aaron. Aaron and John have had sex. They're inside of John's psychic illusion. But we know from uh, Scott and Emma and Jean Grey that that's still sex. It is beyond me that people are like, uh, Scott didn't really cheat on Jean with Emma because they were just having telepathic sex. They never actually touched. And it's like, okay, so they were just doing something that felt like sex, but not in their physical body. So it's okay. Also, this isn't even, like, telepathic sex. I I think this is more like holodeck sex. Definitely sex. Mm. I just think that it's not as big a deal as we're going to find out. Last time the hollow shit broke, I was slapped with three paternity suits. (laughs) Actually, I think it was 15 paternity suits. Zap Brannigan gets up to some stuff. Yes, he does. That's a Futurama reference. As we're going to learn later in this series, though, Sebations are... Pretty casual about sex. Mm. They're like, yeah. They, they refer to it sometimes as recreation. It's just like, yeah, we're just... Is it a future man thing? Where, uh... Okay, it is. Yeah, it's exactly that. Except it's more like, in, in future man, they, they bone in a really clinical, like, weirdly non-sexual way. Yeah. It... Just to get ready for a fight, you know, to clear your mind. Yeah. Whereas in sebation culture specifically peacekeeper culture it's more like bowling you know it's like it's a fun activity to do with friends but it's not like it means something it's not awkward to go to work the next day with someone you were bowling with last night i mean i assume i don't know how you all bowl Hmm. 
We should watch the uh, third season. We should watch the third season. I've been putting it off because I want to rewatch the first two seasons before I watch the third season. But yeah, mm. we should. And that's a pretty big time commitment. Yeah, exactly. Although when we were first watching Future Man, it was before we got ad-free Hulu. So we had to see that ad for Wood seven million times because for some reason for the entire first season, they only played one ad twice and we saw it every like nine minutes. Okay, Hulu does that. It has been so worth the money to get ad-free Hulu. And I don't know why. I mean, we live in a lumber area. We live in an area where lumber is one of the big industries but i don't know why that they needed to advertise the concept of wood so hard like we would forget the concept of wood also the ad in question was like imagine a world with no wood it was like one of those 1950s psa film strips it was like the no springs film strip come back zinc no springs (laughs) coily the springs right there's a blast from the past for you. Uh, I got really into those, uh, like, freshman, junior year of college. It started with the MST3K shorts, and then I just started watching them on my own. So I've, I've never actually seen the MST3K short for No Springs. I've only seen the actual No Springs. Wow. Yeah. So anyway... John and Aaron are going to go on the run. Aaron's been looking at a map trying to figure out the best isolated place to go. And John's like, um, you should put on different clothes before we go. And he gets her this, like... Golden dress? Well, it's it's shiny. It's not golden. It's just shiny. It's a, like, shiny satin floral sundress. And it's super tight. I mean, it looks great. It's Claudia Black. Mm. But I'm like... John, you're seriously limiting the range of movement of your best fighter. Is that a good plan? Well, I'm guessing it was the only uh, dress in the house, presumably left by one of his dad's mistresses, I guess. Well, well, this isn't his dad's place now. They had to break into it. So she's just stealing the dress from the person who stayed here last or is uh... staying here now. Also, she puts a little cardigan over it like it's charmed or something. <laughs> So John's dad shows up and Aaron is like still not on the trusting general daddy train. So she pulls a gun on him. And I love this because, again, now that there is a third party here, we go back to Aaron speaking sebation. And John is, you know, translating. John's like, she doesn't trust you. I told her to trust you, but I'm not going to tell her to put the gun down, especially not till you tell me what you're doing here. And uh, John's dad says, look, I... uh, I tried to talk to all my contacts, all my mistresses, all the undersecretaries, and uh, yeah, they uh, they they are not keen on helping aliens. So uh, yeah, Darko's going to go get his bits chopped into much much smaller bits. But in Utah, because as you Max mentioned earlier, the American government wants some uh, some of these sweet sweet alien guts. Yeah, they're like, you can keep the little one. We're after the big fish. Surprised Dargo isn't part fish, given the face tentacles thing. Oh, yeah, or at least some sort of like Aquatic. cephalopod. Yeah, yeah. So, so John's like, I'm gonna rescue my friend and then go back into space because I don't know if you've noticed, but Earth sucks balls. And uh, John's general dad is like, I understand, son. At least this time, I'll be here to say goodbye to you. Yeah, because, you know, John disappeared before and his dad thought he would never see him again. At least now Presumably they Presumably can... they said goodbye before, uh... Yeah, but he was... It was supposed to be a three-hour tour, you know? God. 
We've been doing a lot of Wizard of Oz. Is it actually Gilligan's Island in space? Maybe. No, it's it's definitely more Wizard of Oz than Gilligan's Island in space. But, you know, there's some similarities. Was there a Gilligan's Island in space cartoon? I'm yes. O- yes, there was. Okay. I was only asking because there's a Josie and the Pussycats in space cartoon. And, like, there was a Fat Albert in space cartoon. There was a Happy Days Gang in space cartoon. Wait, you were just guessing? Yeah, I was just guessing because of all of the other properties that got in space cartoons. Yeah, the plot is that the professor builds them a rocket so they can get off the island, but they end up crashing on a planet in space, so now it's Gilligan's planet. God, what was... Was it the 70s? Yeah. These were all the 70s. What was it with the 70s? Well, we went to space. Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But you know who didn't go to space? Who? Laverne and Shirley. You know what they did? Did they travel in time? Oh, no. They joined the army. In the cartoon. Yeah, that car- the Laverne and Shirley cartoon is Laverne and Shirley joined the army. And also, they have a uh, they have a pig for a sergeant. Like an actual, like, an poor sign actual animal. Actual real no fool and pig? Yeah. Why? <laughs> I would be honked off if I was Laverne and or Shirley. Everyone else is getting to go in space and have space adventures with, like, blue-haired space ladies and... They get to join the army and get yelled at by an actual real no fool and pig. Feels the past like, is a foreign country, Max. Feels like they were getting cheated out of something there. You know what else I guess technically counts? What? There's an elf in space cartoon. Elf is by his nature in space. The original elf is elf in space. Well, no, elf is on Earth. Yeah, but that's in space to him. He's not from Earth. He's from, oh my god, I'm so sad I know this, Melmac. Well, in the cartoon, it's like a prequel where he's, it's just him wandering around being a guy in space. I knew he had a cartoon because he was part of Cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue, the 80s anti-drug PSA that was hosted by George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush. You know, just what kids want to see before a cartoon. Well, actually- Barbara Bush. Actually, you know what's fun is they aired that cartoon special in- a bunch of different countries and the presidents and prime ministers of those various countries reshot those openings. Yeah, I saw the one with I think it was uh Queen Isabella in Spain. Oh, I think where she looks so mad that they're making her do this <laughs> and I'm like why are you doing this? You're royalty. It feels like this is the sort of thing you should be able to opt out of doing. It's like Fraggle Rock except terrible. You know the thing about Fraggle Rock? No. Uh, did you watch Fraggle Rock? No. (gasps) Okay, Fraggle Rock is a show that holds up. We should watch some episodes. But the, also, Muppet Connection. Yes, there we go. So there's the sequences that take place in Fraggle Rock, and then there are the sequences that take place, they actually call it outer space, but it's here in our world. They call our world outer space. Mm -hmm. And in the American version of the show, it was this inventor and his dog, you know, Doc and Sprocket. Mm-hmm. But in other markets, they reshot the live action sequences with different, you know, people, right? So there's one version of Fraggle Rock where uh, it's a lighthouse and a lighthouse keeper is where the little hole that goes to Fraggle Rock comes out. Oh. It's kind of Power Rangers-y, isn't it? It is exactly like Power Rangers. <laughs> Farscape. So Aaron turns to... John's dad, as they're walking out, and she says something really meaningful to him in Sebation, which we can't see because it's not subtitled and it's in Sebation. She says, uh, 
I know you hate it in movies when they do this. <laughs> That's a community reference. Yes. And he's like, thank you, Aaron's son. And she's like, dun, dun, dun. Well, I mean, it, it is actually a really heartfelt moment. And I assume what she's saying is something like, you know, I'll take care of your son. Yeah. I but, mean, from context, it's pretty clear that's what she's saying. But the fact that General Dad understood her is what, like, makes her go, wait a sec. Well, I mean, I don't think he... She does. She does go, wait a sec. But I didn't take that as a clue as to what's going on. I just thought that he understood the meaning of what she said, even though he didn't understand the words. Hmm. So this is when John finally starts to cotton on to something being really weird here yeah he and aaron are out on the boardwalk and he sees the girl that he originally saw on the beach walk by and he's like wait i saw her on the beach and also i went to high school with her yeah it's been a thing where he keeps on recognizing people and it starts getting more i do like that they kind of went back to the fact that uh like when he was talking to his dad, his dad asked him to remember a very specific event from his past, and he couldn't until he was prodded. Uh-huh. Which is why he also didn't start recognizing all of the people around him until he started thinking, wait, these should be strangers, but they're not. And I mean, why would he? Like, if you saw somebody randomly from your high school, I doubt you'd recognize them. I definitely wouldn't, especially out of context. Yeah. And then John goes to a newsstand and realizes that all of the magazines on the newsstand are from seven months ago. So he doesn't open any of them and see that they're blank, which I feel like would have been the thing. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that happens is better. Anyway, so then John pulls a gun and he holds it on Aaron because he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I know people are messing with me and I don't know who to trust. I've been high basically every other episode of this TV show. So, uh, yeah. I love this. He he looks at the guy who runs the newsstand and he's like, wait, you lived down the street from me when I was in fifth grade. And then he runs past this like, I mean, it's a boardwalk. It's like a boardwalk on the beach. So this guy wearing like no shirt and teeny tiny shorts. And he's like, I dated your sister. Then he bursts into a bar and he's like, I know you. I know all of you. Ah, what's going on? Yep. Yep. He's like, I've been in this bar and I remember what it looks like. And I remember all of you. And uh, some fans have said that one of the women playing pool looks a lot like his girlfriend. But I I think they're grasping at straws. I mean, she's blonde like his- It's blonde lady Idis. Yeah. I mean, she's blonde like Alex was, but- they wouldn't have actually put his girlfriend there. That would have been too obvious. Yeah. And it's not the same actress. So I'm I'm calling, no, that's not Alex. There are a lot of blonde women in the universe. Yeah, right? So he's like, I've been here before and I know all of you before, but I know one place in here I've never been before. And he throws open the door to the ladies room and it's just a void. Yep. Yep. Which, okay. In it's my- an orange void. Yes. In my hometown, there is a bar that I drove by basically every day on my way to school, like, since very young childhood. Uh-huh. Like, when my dad used to drive me to school, we went by it every day. And I never went into it. And I realized when I got older that I kind of just thought of it as, like, when you're in a video game and there's, like, a building that's really obviously just there to add texture to a scene... And it has a door that's, like, painted on and, you know, you yes. can't go into it. Mm-hmm. I thought of it like that, where, like, 
it didn't seem like a real place. Mm-hmm. It was just this thing in my hometown to add flavor to it. And I realized I could have gone there as an adult, but I kind of liked just the idea of this place existing that isn't real. It's just sort of there. Yeah. It's just like flavor text in your... Yeah. Yeah. So, John... Uh, also, I can't imagine it wouldn't be depressing. Oh, yeah. Like, little bar right by the train tracks. Oh. So, John storms back to the base, and Wilson is there like, Freeze, John, you did a lot of illegal stuff. And John's like, stop, we know, stop. I, I, I'm on to what's going on. I'm gonna go talk to my dad, since I'm pretty sure he's the one running this simulation. Yes. And I want you to show me your real form, General Dad. Very, very contact, by the way. Spoilers for Contact, a, I think, 30 at this point, 30-year-old movie, Mm. 20-year-old movie. Anyway, spoilers for Contact. (laughs) The moral of the story is your dad is aliens. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Fake dad, alien dad, tells John. That he's not really his dad, and John's like, are my friends my friends? And they're like, and he's like, yeah, they, but they were just drawn into the psychic illusion. They're all fine. No one's been vivisected at all. Yeah, he said that they were investigating the wormhole, so they decided to draw them in too. And then we see Dargo alive in the cell being like, John, I'm bored. Finish up whatever psychodrama you have going on with your dad so we can go home. And Rigel's like, or take your time, because they gave me lots of good food, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. Actually, it's funny, um, we didn't talk about this, but the reason Rigel was so hot to go to the Commerce Planet at the beginning of the episode was because he had heard a rumor that they had Hynerian Margils there, and he's like, they have Hynerian Margils here! I'm good! We're good, man! It turns out that this whole thing was basically created from John's subconscious- because, like, the aliens that created the psychic illusion wanted to know if they would be safe on Earth. Yeah, so the deal is their planet is gone, and they've been traveling around looking for a place that they can live. But they want a place where they can live in harmony with whoever lives there, and they only have enough energy for one more trip. So they wanted to see from John's mind if Earth would be that place, if Earth would welcome them. Oh, also, fake dad rips off his stomach to show that he's... Well, John does that. When John, like, tries to shake him by the lapels and be like, show me who you really are, and accidentally, like, rips off the the flesh suit the guy's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like that John's probably the first real foreign alien they've seen in a long time. Presumably they've done this with every race they've ever encountered, but John is the first human they've seen, so now they needed a human reaction to see if Earth was a place they could be. Yeah. Turns out, no. Nope. It turns out that John's imagination of Earth has told them that this is a place they would not be welcome, and then I stopped being able to look at the episode because it just... Okay, so John walks through a door, and he is in, like, basically the alien's hibernation pod... We see all of these pods, pods, yeah, with the aliens in it, and it it's shot where it's, like, fading in and out like a dreamscape, right? And there's, like, crossfades of John over the alien who's talking behind him and over different things and over John's dad, and it's just visually too much. Like, 
I can't look at this without getting a headache. It's never bothered me, but I, I guess I can see it. But it, they just wanted to show the scope of, like, the alienness of the aliens, too, right? Like, the idea that John can't even really comprehend everything that he's seen. And when it's crossfading, sometimes we're getting, like, a really tight close-up of a face of an alien inside of the pod. And it's like, you can't take the alien in all at once. And uh, then John asks his dad to, like, show his real form. and It's a weird crickety looking thing. I was going to say it's like a stick insect. No, cricket, though. Yeah. It's like a little little cricket puppet. Yep. I actually think it's kind of cute. Little bug puppet. Yeah. It's got like a little, it's got like a flat bill with pinchers on it. Yeah. And it tells John, it's like, you're special because you're not space racist, unlike everyone on Earth would be. You're a special human dude, and your planet is full of xeno... Phobic. Thank you. Your planet is full of xenophobic morons, and you know that. Like, we pluck that information from your brain. You are the one decent man from Earth. Maybe Earth is not a place you want to actually go back to. Mm, yeah. And uh, we hadn't talked about this, but John had his father's puzzle ring. Remember in the pilot... John's father gave him his puzzle ring for good luck. And earlier in this episode, John gave it back to his father because he was home now. And now the alien gives it back to John because, of course, he's not really his father. And he still needs that connection to his father as he continues to search for a way home. If if he wants to go home. If he wants to go home. And, uh... This is a lot of, hey, stuff from the pilot is becoming relevant again. Yeah. Because... I feel like they were initially going to have John opening and closing episodes by talking to his dad on the recorder. Yeah, I think they decided they didn't want to do that anymore. Because it's too Star Trekky. And also it's like, it's hard to, for John, it's hard to have John as a character building relationships with other characters if he's so strongly tied to his home. Which is why this episode is interesting, because this episode begins to let him let go of that. Even as something else is happening during this scene that everyone is unaware of. Hmm. It'll come up later. Okay. So that about does it for the episode. The cricket is like, hey, okay, so I'm going to break the psychic illusion. Here's your dad's puzzle thingy back. Go back to your spaceship and maybe think about whether or not you actually want to go home. It's actually strange to me because we cut to credits right there. It feels like there should be a everybody regrouping back on Moya and debriefing about what had happened scene, but we don't get that. And I think that that's part of, like, keeping you on your back foot as far as this episode goes. Like, something strange has happened and the episode doesn't want you to have too much time to process it. Yeah, normally these episodes have a debriefing scene, but not so much here. Nope, just go to credits. And that's it. That's the end of a human reaction. Okay, so now that we've gone back over it and your last impression isn't the scene that literally gave you a headache, what do you think of this episode? I really like this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes we've done so far. Again, I really... My main issue with how the last scene is shot is it's a lot of unduly complimenting John on how progressive and open-minded he is. Hmm. Like, I get it. He's not as space racist as most people would be but it's one of those okay don't break your arm patting yourself on the back so much show yeah like i like most of the episode i feel like it sort of it 
it focuses on the twist too much at the end. Like, once the twist happens and he figures out that he's in a psychic illusion, like, that's a really good climax, and then it kind of... It does take a long time between the climax and us actually getting out of here. It, that's that's true. Yeah, like, the episode should end very, very shortly after. And it does end pretty shortly after. John's like, oh, this isn't real. It's just... The thing is, I like this... I like almost all of the episode... The end just kind of kills it with me. The end is by far the weakest part of the episode. Mm-hmm. And since it's the last thing you get. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I don't mind the end, but I can see what you're saying. This is one of my favorite episodes ever. Having seen the whole series, this is one of my favorite episodes. Also, I'm not going to do it because there's there's too much that happens in between that you need to know. And also, I'm loving you being exposed to the show bit by bit. Mm -hmm. But I'm so tempted to like, just for fun, jump ahead and show you season two, episode 15, won't get fooled again now. <laughs> but we will, we'll get there eventually. Yes. All right. So I think that'll bring us to our segments. So our first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you here. I actually kind of, well, what world building, if any, worked for you in this episode? Okay, it's such a minor thing, but I really like when Zan tells John, like, just because the planet through the wormhole looks like your planet doesn't mean that it is. There are a lot of planets that look like Earth. I really like that. I really like the idea that, yeah, if there's a planet that's evolved to support life, it's going to kind of look like other planets that have evolved to support life. Yeah, yours is a lot deeper than mine. I just really enjoyed hearing the alien languages in this episode because we so seldom get to do that. Point, yeah. Except with swear words, which always sound really fake and bad. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? It's network television. They can't swear. Actually, speaking of that and things that are currently in the pop culture zeitgeist, one of the things I liked about uh, the Artemis Fowl books oh, yeah. is that canonically all of the things the fairies are saying are being translated by the author for you, except for the swears, which the author points out he's not translating because he just have to censor them anyway, hmm. which I like as kind of a convention for getting around swearing in a children's book series. Yeah, that's good. It, it's relevant because... The movie just was released on Disney Plus, and apparently it is super terrible. Yep, yep, I have heard that. I haven't read the books, though, so I'm not particularly interested in watching the movie either. I would have been very invested had that movie come out, I think. A decade ago? Oh, no, like 20 years ago. Oof. Yeah, time. <laughs> right? <laughs> what even is it? So our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures. Okay, it's going to be the cricket thing, right? Like, Okay, so mine's not the cricket thing. Really? Yeah, I... Mine is the dissected Rigel. Hmm. Like, they put a lot of work into that horrifying visual. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I think, and honestly, I think the cricket guy, to be complete, I mean, it's cool. It, it's a cool puppet. I mean, Jim Henson, right? Gold stand, Henson Creature Shop is the gold standard for creatures. But I felt like it moved a little puppety. Hmm. It, it wasn't as organic as you would want a puppet to be moving. But it was fine. I mean, it's it's fine. It's how you get real aliens. It's why the aliens in Farscape aren't just, like, people with forehead ridges. Yeah. But no, I really think the thing that was awesome was the dissected Rigel, which I thought had a lot of attention to detail about 
both like horrifying details and also things we've learned about Rigel before, like his multiple stomachs. Yeah. And our final segment is uh, just looking for a way home, which is what like really moved you in this episode. Not really anything. I'm, I'm sorry. I have a good relationship with my dad, so dad stuff doesn't really get me, and I feel like that was a lot of the emotional anchor points in this. Oh, really? Because the thing that really gets me is when Aaron busts out of the cell and asks John if he is if he has her back. It's a good moment, but honestly, John and Aaron being sort of the emotional through line for the show mm-hmm. makes it harder. For- for me to connect to these moments because there's kind of a lot of them. I love every one of them, so I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> but that's okay. That's fair. There's, there are a lot of them. I mean, I I can't really talk because, like, every time Willow and Tara looked at each other too hard on Buffy, my heart broke into a thousand pieces. <sighs> but, and I do like John and Aaron as a couple, but the, the moment didn't get me to the degree that I feel like I can say it's, you know, my looking for a way home. Gotcha. Well, and, and I also liked the part where Aaron is talking to John's father and Sebastian, and there's just a moment where she says something to him that we don't understand, and something that I believe to be, I'll look after your son. Yeah. Which, I guess, is another John and Aaron moment. I guess I guess your point is made by the fact that there are two really strong John and Aaron moments, probably even more if I went back and rewatched it in this episode. Mm. But yeah, I guess that's it for our segments. Well, you know, him not being able to say goodbye to her at the beginning. Oh, God. yeah. That was great, too. Three. At least three. All right, so next week we're going to be talking about Through the Looking Glass. Mm. And the description is, Moya performs an emergency starburst that fragments her into four different dimensions. As John attempts to find crew members missing in each dimension, an energy creature appears to add more danger to their predicament. Darn energy creatures. They are a scourge, I'll tell you what. All right, so that'll about do it for this week. Yeah, that's it for us. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any of the several things that I mentioned talking about, Karen Shaw, or or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at ILoveTVZines on Twitter, or at ILoveTelevisionZines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Don't Google Karen Shaw, that's cheating. Okay. Okay. That's to you, not to our listeners. Our listeners are welcome to do whatever they want. I'm not the boss of them. Yes. Yes.